Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You ask people, do you want more control? Do you want more choice? Do you um, want to know who's picking this stuff out for you? They'll probably say yes, usually. And yet there are going to be exceptions where if you kind of go against the stated will, then you might have these opportunities to surprise and delight and ultimately improve their experience. It makes me wonder whether there's something there about wanting to feel lucky. You want consumers to attribute it to chance as much as possible. And I think you're right, Ryan, this is kind of on a continuum and you want to do what you can, even though you are as a marketer sort of controlling these experiences or the products that the company, that the consumers are receiving. But if the consumer feels that they're being targeted or watched in some way by the company, then the positive increase in satisfaction goes away. So Colin, I am sure that our our listeners are just dying to know what happens behind the scenes here in terms of how we choose our, our topics and how we decide what to talk about. Usually it's a bit of brainstorming and a bit of serendipity, what we find as we're reading about. Uh, you sent an article to me a couple of weeks ago from Fast Company. Yes? Yep, I did. Uh, and you said, this is a fascinating article. I think we should talk about this. And so I, I read it and it was an interview overviewing a piece of research that was very interesting, interestingly, about serendipity, in fact. Yep. I realized that the interviewee was actually somebody that I know. It's another marketing professor. And so I said, well, we can talk about this, or if you want, we can actually get the person to come on and uh, and talk to us about it. And um, that's what we decided to do. So let me introduce and welcome Christina Durante. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Hi. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Ryan, for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yep. Let me uh, do a quick introduction of Christina, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into her interesting research. So uh, Christina is vice chair and professor of marketing at Rutgers Business School. Uh, she has her PhD in social psychology from the University of Texas in Austin. Christina has done a whole bunch of very interesting research. As I mentioned, oh, we'll be talking about her work on serendipity today. I think she's probably best known in my field for her work on gender and, and how biological influences can affect what we choose. She's got some fascinating research on uh, hormones and how those affect uh, what we choose and, and how things go. Uh, she's got a TEDx talk on that. I can't recommend it highly enough. It is super interesting. I've, I've watched it and I think it's just fascinating research and a great, great presentation. So definitely check that out. Christina, maybe we can start off by having you just give us kind of the, the thumbnail overview of the research that you published recently? Sure. So I usually approach research from an evolutionary theoretical perspective. So like you were saying, looking at historical aspects of everything. And this kind of is a departure from that, although it really stemmed from noticing the choice overload that we experience every day, day in and day out, which is quite different from you know what the mind is used to dealing with in terms of information. And in terms of choice. And as a marketer, we are inundated with the literature that says that consumers love to choose. 
and mm-hmm. they want to have control over the outcomes of their lives. And certainly I feel like that. We all kind of would say yes to that, I guess, that we yeah. want to be able to choose whatever comes into our life and have control over things that feels good. But I noticed and this, like I was saying, this research goes back now over a decade to when I started thinking about it was because I, being a poor graduate student and then finally getting a job, I was still driving my old Ford Taurus for years and all it had was a radio. So not even satellite radio, just, you know, whatever the FM channel happened to put on. And what I noticed was that uh, songs would come on as I would be driving into school and I would think, oh, wow, I really like that song. I haven't heard it in a while. And then when I got home or when I got into school, I'd quickly download it into my music library and then I'd put it onto a playlist or pull it up when I was at the gym. And then I'd hear it, you know, outside of the radio and it would be like, you know what? It doesn't have its same kind of allure or magic to when I was listening to the same exact song in my car. And I know the Fast Company article used this the song Material Girl, because that was the song that really launched this entire <laughs> program of research. As if Madonna has not done enough for us in this life, she also inspires research. <laughs> she does in this case. And I was like, wow, I forgot this, how great this song was as I'm driving my car. And then, um, so I began to think about the idea of serendipity. So there's a movie by that name starring John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. And I thought about that, you know, the idea of serendipity and why there's some things that I encounter and I, and I don't choose them, but I happen to really like them a lot, like different foods too, that I would go to people's houses for parties and I'd be like, Oh, baby carrots. I forgot how much I love baby carrots. (laughs) And then I'd go to the grocery store remembering how much I loved baby carrots and I bring them home. And then I had chosen it by my own hand and they just didn't have the same, you know, magic, if you will, that they did when I was at Kimberly's house for the party. They turn into those dried out split orange pieces of wood in your refrigerator after a few weeks after you've not eaten You know what? That happens to me every week. So serendipity is effectively, and I'm just, just, trying to sort of define it for, for for those that are sitting there going, I've heard the word, but don't really understand it. Uh, it. Serendipity is effectively good luck, isn't it? It is. That's part of it. And so that's really what launched our investigation into figuring out well, what is serendipity, because we realized that we have a concept of it from, you know, the movies and maybe the ice cream shop, you know, that was featured in the movie. But what is it really? Because it could be luck. Right. Some people think it's surprise. Some people think it's randomness. Some people think it's unexpectedness. Hmm. And some people think it's um, something happy. It's kind of all of those things wrapped up into one. And I have to tell you that um, because it has all of these different components that really make serendipity what it is, much different from all of these pieces separately, because it's it's different from surprise, that it was really hard to put this into a programmatic piece of research because we have we ran up against, you know, what what are what's the recipe? Basically right. it's like what's the recipe for serendipity? And so we we ran countless studies. We've been working on this for over a decade. And what it comes down to is it's something positive right. that happens unexpectedly that's attributed to chance. And so chance is kind of interchangeable with luck. So people kind of think about that as the same. So 
you can get a surprise. Like when you walk into your office, like if it's your birthday and you see like a bouquet of balloons and they're from Jan in accounting and the attribution, then you're surprised, but the attribution goes to, you know, your colleagues or, you know, Mm. that they put it there. There's no chance. So then Mm. it's not serendipity. And that's what makes serendipity more magical and different from surprise is that there has to be, you know, immediately when something happens in our lives, we want to find out why it happened and we search for an attribution. And if we stumble on chance, it usually ends. It's, if we stumble on Jan from, you know, accounting, it'll end too. But usually if we can't find an attribution, we stop. And especially when it's a positive thing that happened to us. Now, if it's negative and we can get into this later, that's where serendipity hits a brick wall. Like it doesn't exist for negative things. So that's really, those are the three pieces, positive, unexpected, and attributed by the, by the consumer to chance. And the serendipity actually increases the liking of the experience, right? Relative to the same experience without that. When I heard your anecdote, like I remembered the times when I would be watching cable TV and some movie would come on basic cable And it was a movie that I owned the DVD of, like it was sitting there right under the TV. And I would, I would be delighted and watch the movie on cable. It was an inferior experience, right? It would still be interrupted by commercials. It would have been re-edited. They would have like bleeped out the swear words in those terrible ways. But I like, when I, when I read your, your paper, I could see that behavior in myself where it's like, oh no, like this this movie came on from the universe sent this to me as opposed to me choosing to pull out that DVD um, that was yeah. right there in front of me. Yeah, I know the magic of serendipity is built into our, our minds and, you know, the thinking part, the analytical part of our brain likes to have control over everything. But what then that kind of veils or, or, or conceals for us is this, this boost in enjoyment we get from just stumbling on things like channel surfing and finding you know, your show. And I think we opened with, in the paper, we talked about, imagine uh, channel surfing and landing on the dark night, your favorite show, (laughs) your favorite movie. (laughs) Because for one of our researchers, it was uh, their favorite. So we use that example. But yeah, it's exactly what you described, Brian. It's there's, you know, there's, there's, there's more costs sometimes to finding it on TBS or, you know, some channel with commercials than it is to choose it from your library or on Netflix or and play it. But what we do see in all of this uh, research is that it, there is a significant boost in satisfaction and, and enjoyment. If I just try and tie this back at the moment to customer experience, because the, again, the audience may be sitting there and thinking, this is all interesting stuff, but so what, basically? One of the examples I think you used in the article was the was Netflix, who now have a button that says play something, isn't it? Yes, yes. So in other words, Netflix go off and, and randomly, well, probably not randomly, probably based upon previous choices mm-hmm. that you've made, mm-hmm. will go off and then play something for you that you haven't chosen. So I guess right. the point I'm making is the interesting part for this is you can build serendipity into your customer experience in some way. 
Yes. And I think it's more important now for marketers and consumers alike than ever before, just because of, you know, how much we receive in terms of information and choice in our digital world that is only going to become more saturated with options. And when we were in lockdown, everybody turned to their streaming services. And eventually it became a choice paralyzing, you know, overload event of going to Netflix, it became less pleasant, I think. Now, I don't work for Netflix. Their shuffle button came out simultaneously as as our research uh, emerged, but uh, I can only imagine or, or predict, I guess, that they were seeing that there was, you know, some frustration in having to choose. And this kind of boosted that. So Netflix and Amazon Prime both, both have a shuffle button now. Yes, based on the preferences of the user, but it's veiled. So, you know, they're not announcing, at least to my knowledge, you know, we've carefully curated this selection, here you go. And that's one of the manipulations we used in the research and found that that erases serendipity, but it just kind of somehow appears. And you know, like the Wizard of Oz, which was who was so magical and all powerful until he was revealed <laughs> as sure. just a man. You know, if you keep the curtain closed, you can you can manufacture these situations for the consumer as a marketer and also as a person just in your in your daily life. Although, you know, it's hard. We never think about it, but it pays to channel surf. And I've started channel surfing more just because I, I like finding stuff, finding pleasant things <laughs> on sure. TV. And how much of that then is, because it's making me think of the phrase, be careful what you'll look for because you'll find it. (laughs) Yeah. In other words, am I really surprised that here am I listening to a piece of music that I like, but I'm actually listening to some oldies station. So guess what? They're going to be playing oldies music and I haven't heard this one for a long time. Does that make sense? So in other words, there's part of it which is, are you picking up a pattern that is subconsciously there anyway? Yes, I think that if we think about it, Colin, like you were kind of describing it, then it becomes, you know, I think we have to like not engage in deliberate analytical processing of our actions. So if we can not think about it too much and just kind of, you know, set up these you know, like I know I'm going to turn on the radio and, and I think we can know at some level that this is going to be more pleasant and, and, and why. But the more we start thinking about it, and this is what we found in the research, too, the more that you start deliberating about a song or a product or an experience or how you're going to be finding it, you know, the more serendipity dissipates and goes away. Right. We were very surprised with what we found in some of these um, studies that we put together. It was a, it was very hard to once we got the formula right for creating serendipity, we found it in all different kinds of experiences and products. So from online subscription services, which is like Birchbox and Stitch Fix that do send random assortments. In my mind, as a consumer, I kind of feel what we talked about at the beginning, like I want to control everything. I want to choose what I, what, what I get. But what we found is that the consumers that received random sample selection from the company enjoyed their box better, what their assortment, the products that came in them, better than those who actually curated the box themselves. Um, so it's this, it's this tricky paradox because people don't want 
marketers or anybody else controlling their lives. Sure. Uh, And so they want to be the ones to choose. Yet when we take the element of choice away and hide the control, so that's the piece, you got to hide it. So for serendipity to emerge in these marketing contexts. But the paradox is we want choice, but we don't, it doesn't make us happier than if we, you know, just come upon things as we go through life. And is that because of the element of surprise? Yes, that's certainly a piece of it. And that's one of the things we had trouble with with the research is that surprise is is happy. So how is this different than surprise? And again, it's not just surprise. It's the that attribution to chance with chance which goes along with luck or that there's some sort of celestial or ethereal hand that comes in and brings sure. things to you. It's the universe. I always think of Disney World when I think of this research too, because they do they have a lot of, you know, magical, serendipitous things that happen, different bands and experiences and magicians and things that happen when you're at the park. And that's because people feel this, wow, look at we just saw this light show, you know, we didn't know. So some things certainly are planned. But if you can sprinkle in some of these unplanned uh, experiences, then consumers think, wow, you know, even if it's music that you're not necessarily the biggest fan of, it's just something that you feel lucky to have seen. Hey everyone, we've really got a reason to celebrate because we're really on a roll here. Firstly, Beyond Philosophy is now 20 years old. Secondly, we've won the Financial Times Award again, and that's for the fourth year in a row. Thirdly, the podcast has doubled in downloads since last June. Yeah, we've doubled the amount of downloads that we've had since last June. So we're really on a roll. To celebrate, we're going to give away some free resources. This includes some of my books, and all of this is a thank you to you, the listener, and to the readers of our newsletter, and to our clients. All of you have made this possible, and I would genuinely like to thank you from the bottom of my heart. All you need to do is to look in the show notes and click on the link that says, we appreciate you. Or you could look at my LinkedIn posts, as some of these offers are gonna change over the next few weeks. All we would ask you to do is to pay it forward and tell somebody about the podcast. So thanks very much for listening. It's really been a great year for us so far, and we really wanted to share that with you, our listeners. You mentioned the formula of serendipity. So what is the formula? I'm sure as soon as you mentioned that, I thought, I'll lay your money. Everybody wants to know what the formula is. (laughs) Yes, yes. So the formula or the recipe is that, first of all, the product experience, whatever you you are trying to imbue with serendipity has to be positive. Right. It can be, it can be neutral. So I mentioned carrots. So we've tried this with boring products like pencils and pens, and we found that the effect, we were able to create it, but the more positive the experience, obviously it enhances it. So it's positivity. And then it's, chance. So removing any obvious indicator that someone shows this for you. Right. 
that there was some agent doing the selection, whether it is a marketer or, you know, your neighbor or whomever. And then the other piece of it is unexpectedness. And in the research, we went through one by one and took these ingredients away and then added it back in and saw how just to record how serendipity was increasing and decreasing to this is, you know, we, like I said, we ran experiments for almost a decade uh, to get it right. And so if the experience is negative, then serendipity actually has a boomerang effect and people hate getting negative things in a serendipitous way. Like then there's no magic. So (laughs) chance or luck goes out the window too. So if you think about something that you have to do that isn't positive, like a dental procedure or, you know, you know, these are the things we want. There no, no one's, you know, we don't, we don't experience greater happiness from random dental procedures. I'm, I'm not coming up with a bad, a good example. In the research sure. we used, we used ugly art. So art that was a painting of garbage and toilet paper. And so when that was, when consumers were, presented with artwork that was negative in a serendipitous way, in the way that we manipulated serendipity, chance and unexpectedness, they didn't like it. They hated it, in fact. That's the one piece that needs to be there. So if you have a product that's associated with something negative, I guess it could be, you know, we think about pharmaceuticals or, you know, I I always go to the medical, but yeah, things that we don't necessarily think about as positive. I think in the Fast Company article, I was like, if it's music and movies and food, these kinds of things, I guess it, it could be museums, vacations, anything that has that. I know as Ryan, maybe this is what we, we talk about is hedonic products mm-hmm. and utilitarian products. But anything that is positive, this is where serendipity can really work its magic if you're a marketer. When you were talking, it was making me think about gambling. Mm. I was in a store the other day and the person in front of me was buying what seemed like half a million tickets for the lottery. Yeah. Um, And and we all fund our retirement in different ways. (laughs) Exactly. It just surprised me because I have to say, I just don't gamble mainly because I'm bloody useless at it. But there's obviously that, I wouldn't say it's serendipity, is it? Because there's an element of chance in there. Mm -hmm. And there's hopefully a positive outcome, yeah, uh, of you of you winning, and it just makes yes. me wonder how how that ties into serendipity. Yeah, I've actually never been asked that question when it comes to this oh, research, but go. it seems like a natural that gambling would kind of sit somewhere within this uh, context, knowing that there is an unexpected element. Yeah, because it's interesting when you think about it, actually, because if it's poker. Mm-hmm. then you could argue that's a skill and therefore it's not chance but mm-hmm. i mean basically uh, putting money on a lottery on a lottery ticket is just totally chance isn't it but what would i wonder though because you're i think the act of buying it is it reduces the surprise like if you buy a scratch off ticket and yeah. win there's certainly a chance element there and that's certainly a positive yeah. outcome yeah but i think if you found a scratch ticket and right. Yeah. Did, like that seems more like serendipity to me. Like I don't know, Christina. 
That's really interesting, Ryan, because that is something we looked at in this research by, you know, because you do sort of move towards products as a consumer. It's, you know, you usually are going into a store that contains a product that you might stumble upon. So we, we created situations where it was kind of like what you described, which is discovering the lottery ticket versus choosing the lottery ticket. So what we found was that if we made each step as random as possible. So it would be like random chance and then another random chance encounter. And it would be like the lottery ticket. And we took a cue from the movie serendipity, which sets it up that the two main characters meet by chance at a department store. And they're both looking at, I think the same scarf or the same set of gloves and they run into each other by chance there and feel an attraction towards each other. They strike up a conversation and then they go to get ice cream at Serendipity in New York City. And they share the ice cream and they exchange goodbyes and then they leave the ice cream shop separately. But then they both return having left a personal item at the table. And then it was, you know, cue the big music, (laughs) like double Serendipity. So that's going to enhance the serendipity situation even more and the enjoyment that you would get out of it for sure. But even the instances where we had some kind of movement, approach, choice, whatever you want to call it, toward the product, and then some form of positive unexpectedness happened later on in the process, there was still a boost in enjoyment, but it was really exacerbated in that kind of situation. So it sounds like it's useful to think of serendipity not as an on-off switch where, oh, this was serendipitous or this is not, but almost as kind of a continuum or thinking about it in terms of more or less serendipity in terms of just yes or no. So even partial moves towards making something feel even a little bit more serendipitous might help from an enjoyment perspective. Yes, yes. And I think there are many different situations where marketers have the opportunity to set this up. And one of the default assumptions of, you know, myself and maybe many other marketers is that you would want to let the consumer know that I'm doing this on your behalf. I'm carefully curating this opportunity for you. Uh, And what we found was that when that isn't made salient, there's an increase in enjoyment. And because it's taking away that attribution, it's like, oh, I got this because Joe put it together for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about that in terms of the the subscription boxes that you mentioned there, because that's yeah. two ways that they're positioned. Some of them are, you know, they make it seem like it's more, I don't know, random, but at least not specifically curated for you. And then there's others where you're assigned like a, a personal stylist, right? And that right. person is going to choose for you. So I guess, right. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, your, your research would suggest that people might actually respond better to a box that was not specifically chosen for them by an individual. The trick is, though, Ryan, isn't it, is making it something that has a positive outcome. Right, exactly. That's part of the formula. Yeah, it could either be, yeah, I, I don't want that, or I'm not overworried. Yeah. You've got to make it that somebody goes, yeah, this was good. Right. And I think with the amount of data that we have access to on consumers on the company side, you know, you can gather that data and then use that, you know, we were talking about Netflix to predict what the consumer will 
on average enjoy versus not enjoy, then you can put together a curated box, but not make that, not put a little note like, hi, I'm Joe, I'm your personal stylist, which I know happens a lot. And that's what makes this so difficult to talk about or people, because, because we all go into it thinking, I want to know who put together my, you know, from the company side, we want to say, we're doing this for you. We're working for you. Well, even, even from the customer side, I would assume there might be something like a paradox of choice, where if you asked people, would you want an algorithm based or random based selection, or would you want a personal stylist to choose? I guess most people would say they would want the stylist to choose, but then they might end up enjoying it less afterwards. Yeah. And I think that they maybe, you know, so this is actually maybe an empirical question because you can, you can turn over, I guess, in that kind of situation, we think of a stylist as somebody who is more knowledgeable in that area than you are, um, like with clothes or with skincare or whatever it is. So it would be interesting to know if we can turn over control of choice to a stylist and then that would because I think when you sign up for Birchbox or Stitch Fix that you kind of have an idea that they're specialists beyond your knowledge and so then just getting a random assortment boots boosts liking beyond what you're picking for yourself and that might have come into play when we looked at this because we did find that people who received random assortments liked it better. The follow-up to this is though one of the things we did find in terms of sort of boundary condition for this is that when people know a lot about a product where we would consider them, you know, very highly knowledgeable or connoisseurs or whatever you want to call it, aficionados, they don't want a stylist or somebody else curating because once we come to know an area particularly well, so if you're very good at gardening, if you're Michael Jordan, you don't want basketball gear given to you serendipitously, you are the one that wants to control this. So I guess it's sort of like taking into consideration consumers' knowledge. And if they're signing up for these assortment boxes, chances are they're not as knowledgeable as they the company would be. And that's probably why we found that the random boxes increased satisfaction. Let me tell you about my friend Graham. And the reason I'm telling you about my friend Graham is I'm, I'm going to lead to a question. Graham, I call lucky because he's probably one of the most unlucky people in the world. He's had various different illnesses. And I actually say to him that he has all my bad luck. The reason I'm talking about Graham is it makes me wonder whether there's something there about wanting to feel lucky and something about sort of ego, basically, that makes me go, actually, that was a surprise, and I'm now feeling pleased I got that, and that's because I'm a lucky person, or you, you get the you get the thought process, yeah. as opposed to I'm an unlucky person. Now, Graham isn't an unlucky person, but, you know, it's just a bit of banter we have. But you, you get the thought process. You know, people want to feel lucky, don't they? Or they want to yes. feel that there is, you know, somebody smiling down at them. Yes. I think absolutely that's correct. And I think that's probably what feeds this these effects that we found with serendipity. It's and one of the things that we did find is it was that fate or luck component. And, you know, when we were going through the process of trying to get this published, we had a lot of pushback on that piece of it. Is that different from luck and chance? And most people kind of, 
these are kind of inter- interchangeable terms that essentially mean the same thing. Sure. And that was where the magic happened. It wasn't, you know, it it it, it wasn't ne- necessarily unexpected because that's just surprise. Sure. It was that attribution that added that pleasant feeling. And I think that's what you're describing, Colin. I think that's right. I think we all want more of that, you know, more of thinking that we're in somehow lucky or fate, you know, dealt us a, a, a nice hand that day. Sure. <laughs> it just sure. makes us feel so good. Sure. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So let me try and draw this and try to make this a bit more practical then. Sure. So really interesting topic. Great that you've got a couple of examples there and thank you for the for the formula. What advice would you give people if, if they're if they're listening to this and going, this sounds really good, we need to do try to design some serendipity into, you know, our experience uh, with our customers, what should they do? So there are a couple of things that I think marketers can do to increase the serendipity when consumers are encountering their products or services. We talked a little bit before about adding some unplanned experiences into vacation packages or theme park experiences. So it's going to depend on, you know, what does your company do? Sometimes when consumers receive product samples in the mail unexpectedly. So this is a way to do product sampling where it is more like a pleasant surprise and attributed to chance. One thing marketers will want to keep in mind is to decrease the, I guess, presence that of, of somebody, you know, targeting them. That's the one thing, you know, that is going to erase the sense of serendipity. Sure. So you want consumers to attribute it to chance as much, much as possible. And I think you're right, Ryan, this is kind of on a continuum mm. and you want to do what you can, even though you are as a marketer sort of controlling these experiences or the products that the company, uh, that the consumers are receiving. But if the consumer feels that they're being targeted or watched in some way by the company, then the positive increase in satisfaction goes away. So to the extent that the marketer can keep that salience hidden, <laughs> keep their hand in it hidden a little bit, they can create these situations, you know, and again, it'll depend on the kinds of products they have. Assuming that you have a product or service that is positive, at least not negative, then you can take advantage of this. So just, you know, keep the curtain pulled, you know, the Wizard of Oz reference behind the curtain is a marketer pulling a bunch of levers. But to the extent that the consumer isn't aware of that, it's going to increase the level of serendipity that they Receive And one thing we found, and it's not in this research just because we had, we could only talk about so much, is that we find that, you know, when consumers encounter products in a serendipitous way, this decreases their satiation. So they don't become as bored with the product as quickly. And it works for products as much as it works for also in dating too. So all of the choices that we make in life could use a little serendipity. Right. Excellent. Ryan, your thoughts? What did you take out of this? I think that this research fits into a larger idea that we talk about a lot on the podcast, which is that people don't always know necessarily what will make them happy, or they're not always able to articulate that. So, you know, if you ask them what they want, they'll say they want more choice. They'll say that they want more control. They'll say that they want more of this and that. And I think that that's generally true. 
But I also think that there are some really interesting exceptions to that. And I think that Christina and her colleagues have, have identified one here where if you ask people, do you want more control? Do you want more choice? Do you um, want to know who's picking this stuff out for you? Um, they'll probably say yes, usually. Um, yeah. And yet there are going to be exceptions where if you kind of go against the stated will, then you might have these opportunities to surprise and delight and ultimately improve their experience. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, there's three things that I think is really good. One is the, this thought of unplanned. By definition, I guess they have to be planned. But from the customer's perspective, they're unplanned. In fact, the insurance industry just comes to my mind. In insurance, obviously, the renewals process is, um, is clearly key. And one of the things I've often talked to organizations, insurance companies about is don't wait to communicate to your customer like the week before the renewals is due because, you know, you should be building up that enjoyment, that experience to the point where the renewal is. So doing something unplanned, I think, is is really good. The other thing that you said that I think sort of struck me, think one thing that drives me around the bend when people talk about having a wow experience, I've always hated that phrase. You know, we want to give our customers a wow experience. And you go, yeah, but what's I that object mean? to it just grammatically. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not an appropriate <laughs> But when you were talking about customers going, wow, I actually thought, yeah, actually, that's quite good, you know, because it's that element of surprise. The third thing that Ryan will know that is a bit of a theme for us recently has been this whole area of that you talk about now, which is data and just being able to have so much more data on customers uh, from different sources to be able to do something that would they would perceive as being serendipity, but actually isn't. The scope of being able to do that, I can imagine trying to do that you know, 20 years ago would have been a bit of a challenge, basically. Yeah. Uh, but going forward, as, as more and more information is collected on, on people and more and more behavioral science gets applied to it, then I would imagine that that gives you much more opportunity to, to do that. Yes, I think so. That's right. You know, marketers have much more opportunity now because they have the data and then they can go about, I guess, co-opting this serendipity whatever you would call it, this sort of serendipity wiring in our brain that makes these kinds of situations, positive, chance, unexpected, so magical. They can curate them now, but keep the, you know, curation and the fact that it was so, you know, planned, hidden. Yes, no, absolutely. And tap into it and, and use it to their advantage. You know, we could go on about ethics, but as long as, you know, you are having a product that people want and enjoy, then this is something that could be very useful. Sure, absolutely. So, Christina, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been really fascinating and definitely an example of serendipity because uh, when Ryan says, <laughs> why don't we get um, the author on the show, I thought, bloody hell, that's a good idea. Um, which is, I have to say, it's unusual for Ryan to come up with a good idea as well. It's so. true. Well, I mean, the, the pleasant part of the formula is usually not there. I surprise Colin frequently. But, uh, oh, funny. Like the surprise yeah. dental visit. Right, yes, the absolutely. surprise dental surgery. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That, that's, my, that's, that's my brand is the surprise dental Surgery. Okay. Oh my gosh, funny. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. 
So if people want to get hold of you, Christina, then how do they how do they do that? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter at, at Christina Durante, and that's Christina with the K. Yeah, those two places. Great. Well, we'll put the links, uh, those two links in the in the show notes. So thanks very much for coming on the show. We look forward to talking to everybody next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.